welcome everybody to Bridges, a conversational event series about race, equity, and inclusion. Um, my name is Snyder. I am the co-founder of Tokativity, and I am pleased to be here with Miss Kindness, our curator and Hi, everybody. for the evening. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really excited to be back for this second second bridges um two days past election day gonna talk about some things that we really need to talk about and i'm glad um i'm glad that we're doing this i'm really glad that we're doing this so thank you thank you tokativity i just want to say to everyone good evening and thank you for joining us for the second event and a phase of our in phase one of our event series bridges this is, like Lisa said, a conversational event series about fostering collaboration and healing. And in this first phase, our discussions are centered around race, equity, and inclusion. But the topic for today's talk, this evening's talk, is specifically Black history and intergenerational wealth. You know, when Club Kindness and Tokativity came together to create this series, it was with pure intention and frankly, Lisa, you know, it was born from pain, right? We accessed that shared pain though. And then we used it to fuel our commitment to affect real change. And here we are, we're, we're doing bridges. And, you know, I, this is for me. I don't feel like bridges is for everyone. In fact, it's for a very specific audience. It's for the people who care deeply about racial justice, and the magnitude of the crisis currently facing our communities, partic particularly communities of color, right? Um, it's for those who understand how much work we have to do and for those who are ready to do that work. Bridges is for people, especially women and women in cannabis who want to heal and repair our society. We know Lisa and Sam and I, Tokativity and Club Kindness, we know that if something affects one of us, it affects all of us. And that's why we're here. Today, we are gonna touch on topics as, as is the Bridges way, right? It's becoming the Bridges way that these topics are gonna provoke anxiety. They're gonna provoke anger, sadness, and potentially many more things. We encourage you to bravely acknowledge those feelings. If they should arise, use that opportunity to post a question. So in a moment, you'll, be, you'll actually now, you can see the chat box. So Lisa will share the link for the poll. Lisa will share the link for, answer, for asking anonymous questions. Go there, I'll access it in our Q&A session. Feel free and feel safe to ask any questions you might have. Or you can wait for the Q&A and you can join us on the screen. But when those feelings arise, honor them and acknowledge them and use them as an opportunity to ask questions that they might provoke. So we're here to support and grow together. We created the series to build bridges and to develop tools we need for real collaboration. And today we're gonna feature more two amazing brave women and fellow bridge makers. And I'm honored to be joined by Khadija Adams and Tiffany Sharp today. And in a moment, these two ladies, they're gonna join me on the stage and we're going to start to embark upon a discussion that I hope inspires each of you to further affect change in your families, in your businesses, and in your communities. There's also a link to the poll in the chat box. That poll gives you an opportunity to tell us more about yourself, where you're joining us from, and what other topics you'd like to see in future discussions. So please take advantage of that. We want to hear from you. And after the first hour, as I mentioned, we're going to move into the Q&A with the ladies during that time, you're welcome to come on the stage for moderated Q&A. We ask you to just limit your questions to one minute and or type in the chat box and I'll make sure your questions get asked. So yeah, any more housekeeping, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, I actually just dirty. wanted, <laughs> I wanted to thank our supporters and sponsors, um, Vanguard Magazine, Kissing Lions, This is Jane Project, and Black Cannabis, as well as EBK Apothecary. Um, without your support, we would not be able to do this. So we really appreciate your support in making this happen and for spreading the word. Um, Absolutely. 
We are so excited to have you and I look forward to seeing everybody in the sessions afterwards. Um, we will be recording the sessions this time. We did not last time, but we will be recording it this time. Just wanted to let everybody know that. Um, the link to the um, uh, anonymous questions is in the chat box. We do encourage everybody uh, to uh, to fill that out. And you might not have a question now, but during the event, you might uh, feel inspired to fill it out. So please go ahead and do that. Please do, yes. All right, so um, I'm gonna ask that we do this together. Stay on the screen with me, Lisa, because you know before we go into these discussions and before we bring the ladies on, I always wanna make sure that everyone watching and everyone here as a part of this experience is grounded in the same intention. So let's just take a minute, get comfortable where we are. Put your feet flat on the ground. If you're standing, if you're seated, if you're laying down, just relax. Take a deep breath. Inhale on my count. Exhale. One more deep breath, slowly in. Give thanks for the opportunity and the access and the ability to do this and have these conversations with really powerful women. I'm very grateful to be your guide through this journey and I'm very grateful for Tokativity, the women, the leaders, all of you here. And so without further ado, let's have Khadija and Tiffany join me on the stage. See you in a bit, Lisa. Hello, welcome. <laughs> and just like that, we are on the main stage together. I love, love, love um, what, took, what the ladies of Tokativity have, have built for us here to be able to come together like this in the intro web. That is my new term. So I want to welcome to the main stage here for Bridges with us today, uh, Ms. Tiffany Sharp Esquire and Khadija Adams. Thank Hi. you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm going to let you all introduce yourselves because, you know, this today's topic, we talked about it. We're going to get right into the conversation. I have some questions for each of you, but we are talking today specifically as we evolve in this series about black history and intergenerational wealth. And so I know that you two women are very well versed in both of those with specific strength. And we're going to get into this. But first, first, I'm going to ask that you just let everyone know who you are and introduce yourself. So Khadija, I'll go. The way I see it is clockwise on my screen. So could you just please tell us um, about yourself? Awesome. Well, thank you, first of all, for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, yeah, so I am an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur since 1997. I am allergic to bosses. Um, I am not, you know, I'm not down on, uh, on jobs, just up on opportunity. Um, and so I decided to be a full-time entrepreneur raising four sons by myself um, because I knew I could not make ends meet working three and four jobs. So I decided to just take the leap in 1997 and I have been a full-time entrepreneur um, ever since. Um, I entered the cannabis industry legally in 2014 by way of Colorado. Um, I sold everything I had except for my computer, my cell phone, my um, my car and my clothes, and I moved from Sugarland, Texas, to Colorado, and got in on the cannabis industry by way of investing. Um, my first company was Marijuana Investment and Private Retreat. Um, I started that in November 2014. I sold that company in June 2017. Um, I'm a partner in a private equity firm called CE Hutton. Um, we're located in Denver, Colorado. Um, I am the vice president and also one of the super majorities there. And then I'm also the founder of Girl Get That Money, which is a business empowerment coaching and consultancy um, firm. And I'm also an accredited investor. I'm highly invested in the cannabis space and I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, when we when we do this, these resumes, I'm like, we're bringing we're bringing the bosses for this. Also, I want to just say thank you for being a black woman who is doing the work you are doing, who are out, who's out there in the community representing. And I know we're going to get into this discussion, ensuring that other people of color gain access as well. So thank you for being here today. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Miss Tiffany Sharp who I consider a friend and we, we are buddies and we chat about so many things online and have children the same age, an attorney yeah. doing yeah. amazing work in the community. Welcome to the stage, thank tell you. us about yourself. Thank you so much. Well, thank you Khadija, cause that's just, I'd love to hear stories of particularly black women just, you know, bulldozing through the barriers and walls. Um, so it's it's a pleasure and honor to, to get to hear your story. Um, I'm Tiffany Sharp. I'm uh, here in Sacramento, California. I'm an attorney. Um, like Khadija, I too am allergic to bosses, although um, I actually came into entrepreneurship um, not voluntarily. I actually got fired from five legal jobs in one year for insubordination. And uh, finally, my father, <laughs> my father, I was in my 20s and my father, who was doing my taxes at the time, and, uh, you know, was presented with five W-2s in one year, said, look, you just can't, you, you, you can't work for anybody. You need to figure something out. Um, and so I started my own law practice in 2004. Uh, actually just started my own law practice uh, waiting to get a real job. Uh, I haven't had a real job since. So it's been, it's been a, a wonderful journey being a, a black woman, attorney, entrepreneur that's able to um, get to call my own shots and, uh, you know, make decisions that are best for me and my community without having to, um, you know, uh, tone anything down, let's just say. Uh, so yes, I'm an attorney in Sacramento. I also have an international women's nonprofit that works with underrepresented women around the world, um, empowering them to and through entrepreneurship, sort of taking my experience of, of, of employment liberation um, and helping other women in, in, in locally in Sacramento, as well as in Kenya, Peru, and Nepal, um, find empowerment or find, you know manifest their own empowerment through entrepreneurship. Um, and it was from that project in, in Sacramento, California, uh, where we're working with women of color entrepreneurs in an entrepreneurial incubator, that a lot of women started coming to me asking about how they can become successful in the then newly um, uh, commercially legalized cannabis industry in California. And it was from those inquiries and that gap in the in the community of assistance that I formed uh, a company called Woke Canna, Women of Color and Cannabis, um, to provide um, advocacy and con consultation, most of the time at a pro bono or very low bono rate to women of color, mostly black and brown women in the cannabis community um, with the desire to uh, create that you know, that generational wealth from the cannabis community. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, why why that's important and the history surrounding cannabis prohibition um, and why as black in particular uh, communities and brown communities, I think that's our right to, to, uh, to, to, to be successful in that industry <laughs> and why I think women in particular are great stewards of this. So, I'm happy to be here today. Um, I have a 10-year-old as as well, so you may see them floating in and out. Um, you know, we're all at home now, uh, which you know is the benefit again of being an entrepreneur. I can be a mother and a legal yeah. advocate um, all at the same time. So I, you know, if you if you see my child coming in and out, I welcome them to come in and out because that's that's called real life. Um, yeah, we welcome it too. We welcome yeah, it. Thank you. So thank you for having this this um, this event. This is going to oh, be. I really listen. look forward to sharing. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you touched on so many things. Like as you were talking, I just was thinking, oh, there's my question number two. There's my question number three. So let's just get right into it. There's so many. There's so many parallels that we that we um, are going to touch on. I think in this conversation, I'm talking with two 
successful black women, two women who are talking to me about overcoming challenges, talking about coming out of, you know, being, being, uh, I'm allergic to bosses and by training, right? Went and got my education, became a high school teacher, became a professor, and then had to leave because the bells were making me crazy. I hated being told when I could go to the bathroom. So same, we're allergic to our bosses. Now, let's get right into the content and let's talk about what it, how we got here, right? So as black women, we're dealing with all kinds of dichotomies. We had to overcome these challenges. I'm gonna ask you both this question. Um, how, and, and then we'll get into history because I want to I want to go back, but I, but you just made me think of these questions, Tiffany. Um, how have each of you interfaced with your challenges despite being black women or because of or encouraged by? How have you incorporated your black womanhood into your success? Well, I'll let Tiffany go first. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. That's a, that's an excellent question. I've never been asked that before. So I was um, pausing to take a moment. But, you know, I think one of the let me just put it to you like this. You know, when I all when I all of those five jobs that I was fired from back in 2004 were men, I was fired from, you know, jobs with male mm. bosses, um, one of which was 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 also black, but the others were not. And um, it was, you know, being fired was liberating in a sense uh, because I got to show up, you know, when I started my own law practice, I got to show up as I am and not how somebody needed me to, to be. Um, so in addition to cannabis, I also, I have a specialization. I have a cannabis law certificate. I also have a a legal specialization in international law. So I, I started my law practice working with a lot of um, international clients. And um, it in a lot of cases, I may have been the first black person that they were ever like in the first time they were ever in a room together with a black person. Um, had a lot of, you know, Slavic clients or so Russian speaking clients, a lot of, you know, we're just it's not a lot of black people. And um, and what I learned is that I could be, I could show up as I am. You know, I'm a black woman. Uh, I have tattoos everywhere. I'm covered, and mm -hmm. um, you know, I could, I could be whoever I wanted to be as long as I was good at what I was doing. Um, and there was always a point where I would meet a client, and they would be very surprised. Um, to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. see that I am who I am uh, because, you know, I sound a certain way and they create this vision of me um, based on the way I sound and I don't appear the way I sound. Uh, and so there's always that sort of surprise. And then as we're talking about their legal matters, this very noticeable transition from seeing me like visually to actually um hearing you hearing, hearing me you. Yeah. and appreciating me for my legal knowledge and completely forgetting that first visual impression um and so i want to i want to interject if i can tiffany yeah. really quick because this is a point that will i think will will weave throughout every conversation we have in this bridges series and as we talk with black women this is common um this sort of white speak or this black speak um, code switching came up in the in the last discussion. And then we talked about just putting that down and not having to code switch because I'm showing up as exactly who I am. Yeah. And that's what you're touching on again right here. And this is what you're saying. And I, I feel like what you're saying is that's what entrepreneurship gave you, this ability to not have to fit into any hat because you could decide. And, and in deciding, you just showed up as who you were and didn't have to think about how other people were perceiving it. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Now, yeah. so just as some background, my mother, my parents are from the South um, and they uh, are very into education. My mother was an English teacher. So like, I sound mm. like this, like this is how I sound. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, this is, <laughs> this is, this is really talk. how I say the words. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like literally how I talk, you know? So, you know, sounding, 
you know, one racial identity or another, like, this is how I talk this. And, and it, you know, it's like when I growing up, I got teased from everybody because I sounded a certain way, you know, either I looked too black or I sounded too white. Um, and, and that, that, that's, this is like literally how I talk. I talk to my dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is who I am. Like, literally, plants this way. No, you're not in. This I talk to my plants this way too. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is easy and this is tops. I actually name my plants. Real so talk. I have, that <laughs> same plant. I have that same plant over here, but. Anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, so, no, you're not in California though, because you're in Sacramento, right, Tiffany? Where are you? Could you remind me? I'm in Arizona right now. Yeah. So I okay. have, so I have been in six different states since 2014, since entering the industry. Wow. Um, wow. my goal is to get to every legal state at some point. Um, but as a black woman showing up in the cannabis industry. I have to say that once I did the background, once I began to re-educate myself, um, once I learned the meat and potatoes of the war on drugs and what that was all about, once I began to just come into reality, right? Mm -hmm. Then I mm -hmm. said, okay, well, what do I bring and how do I show up as a black woman? I show up as a black woman to re-educate my community um, most importantly about not only the war on drugs, what that was really all about, right? Um, Re-educate them on positioning in this industry and why it's so important for them to position in this particular industry, um, be it, you know, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, as an investor or as an employee, I believe, or it's very important you know, for me as a black woman to show up for other black women and to show up for other black people in this industry. And so that's how I've shown up. Absolutely. By, by reaching out and um, by looking for more um, people of color. I believe that, you know, we suffered the most because of this industry prior, you know, during prohibition and, and things of that nature. So why wouldn't we benefit the most? And so I think it's a timely discussion. Well, why shouldn't we? Well, I, we can right. talk about why we wouldn't, right? But why shouldn't we? Yeah. Right. Why shouldn't we? You understand? At the end of the day, you know, we built the industry. You know, we built the industry. We're still building the industry. And so, yes, it's very important instead of us shying away. And the reason I say re-educate is because we've already been educated with lies. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. now it's time to re-educate our community about how and why it became illegal in the first place. What happened in that span? It's more than just, oh, they criminalized marijuana. No, what they did was they put our men in jail, in prison. They took them out of the household. Not only did they put them in prison, mm -hmm. right? Not only did they put them in prison, but when they got out of prison, they couldn't even vote. Not only that, when they got out of okay. prison. Not, not, <laughs> Not only that, but when they got out of prison, okay, they had to come home to their wives who were stay-at-home moms at one point. Now they're working, making more money than them because they can't even get a job. It's just a vicious which changes the dynamic of the relationship and dis dis like disproportionately imb it imbalances how men and women work together, particularly black men and women. Okay, Khadija, you're taking us there. So here we go. Let's go back in history. I want to touch on some really important points. Um, I think it's important that as we host this series, we also make sure people have just data because I know as, as an educator, and I know both of you are also educators in your fields, that many people just don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. They just don't know. So and this, this is so important in this to me. Field is so important because this is, yeah. This history goes back a hundred years, right? The the history of of marijuana prohibition and even the history surrounding why we call it marijuana versus cannabis, why it's called can you know, and and the term using cannabis now, how it's right. the sort of whitewashing right. of that. This goes back a hundred years, right? This goes back back to the 1920s and 30s. Um, after alcohol prohibition. Can I, let me ask you to address the whole cannabis thing, that statement you made, whitewashing. Yeah. yeah. Because there, this comes up, this comes up, this idea that it's whitewashing to call it cannabis. Yes. 
but cannabis is the scientific name of it. And so right. now we're saying that calling things by their correct name is whitewashing it. Yeah. Are we and giving me, it more power me, than we should be? Yeah, let me explain, let me explain that, why that is. So um, back in the 1920s, when the efforts, well, let me go back a little bit further, you know, after the, uh, you know, about 1910, when um, individuals from Mexico and uh, the Caribbean islands started immigrating into the United States, um, and tell me if this sounds familiar today, uh, a lot of the white folks um, became resentful of the immigration of black and brown populations. And with that immigration, uh, people were bringing their ancestral remedies, which includes marijuana. Um, and so the, you know, the bureaucrats specifically uh, wanted to first, you know, find ways to um, associate marijuana with this other with certain communities, with right. certain communities. Right. And so they specifically use the Spanish, the Spanish name marijuana to invoke mm -hmm. that fear of black and brown populations bringing this plant over. And at first it started, it wasn't even criminalized, it was taxed. And so in order to bring marijuana into the United States, you had to declare it and it was taxed. And if you didn't declare it, that was where the criminal penalties were imposed. Okay, so that's where Okay, so you're doing lawyer speak now because now you're yeah. talking about policy and you're talking about how significant policy is and how right. we become impacted. So I want to go back. Now we can make this, yeah, so we can make this cannabis specific. We can make this exactly. Let's go all the way back. Thank you. Because that, that's really where it came from and the Mexicans came right. through that lineage. But Right. I have to say, and, but I want to talk specifically about U.S. Black history policy. So I do. I want to talk one about how we post-slavery were released and then prohibited from doing things like voting and main, and gaining wealth, um, the Tulsa riots, Black Wall Street, all of these times that we began to reestablish wealth, as in we're capable of it. We're strong, powerful people. We were oppressed. Then we got a little bit of freedom. We turned it into this golden thing and then that got shut down. And what we see in cannabis, as you're describing, as I'll let you continue to describe, is a microcosm of this system. It's a microcosm of that. And if you think about the time frame in which really the taxation and then subsequent criminalization of it happened, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about the 1910s, the 1920s. This is a period of time where black communities are starting to prosper in a, in a sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's scare, it's scare, you know, any, listen, anytime black people get a little something, two things happen. White folks want it. People copy it. Yes. And <laughs> they don't want us to have it because they're afraid. Right. right. And, and so this is exactly what happened. And so, and it's not even that uh, black and brown people were doing a whole, you know, consuming a lot of marijuana. Um, mm -hmm. But but this is, you know, this the, it, it, the demonization of its use and consumption, you know, take, you know, after. Was intentional, oh, intentional, it was as intentional as in, as in oh, everything in this systemic. You know, and Slade did a number. He knew exactly right. what he was doing when he did what he did. You That's know? right. There's documentation. Talk, talk about it, that, Khadija. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about that. Yeah. And Harry Anslinger, and and we can go back to Dupont. You know, we can talk about we can talk about Dupont, and we can talk about Mellon. We can talk about Hearst. Hearst owned the majority of the media, the majority of the papers. So when Reefa Madness was able to get out there, it was it was out there for a reason. They had invested. They had invested, and at the time, Mellon was a, was the richest man at the time. OK, and you have DuPont, who was a petroleum guy. And then you have um, Hearst, who's a who's a newspaper guy. Right. They had loans. They had business going through that bank. You understand? Mm -hmm. And so when him came out in the papers to be this this 
crop that was going to take over everything that was going to, you know, get rid of this industry and that industry and that industry. They went straight to Mellon and Mellon called his 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 nephew in law. OK, Harry. So I want everyone to be taking notes on this. I want everyone to be okay. writing down Anslinger, Anslinger, write down Mellon. Think about hers. You need to do some of this research because we are going to give you these nuggets. OK, but we are not going to do all of the work for you. Uh, that I want to stand behind my black people and sisters and say, here's the knowledge. But we're not going to do all the work. Khadija, I want you said something. You said something earlier. You said we should benefit from this. And when you said we, you meant black people because we built this. Can you speak specifically to how we have, in fact, built an industry and then how it mirrors? Yes. And then now what we deserve. Why Why you make that statement? Absolutely. So to Tiffany's point, in the 19, 1910s, 1920s, we were flourishing. Let me tell you something. A lot of us had property. We were growing. What do you think we were growing and paying our taxes with? Hemp. Okay. Yeah. What happened when they criminalized it? A lot of us lost our land. Because we now we didn't have a way of making anything else to pay those taxes. See, we were using him to pay taxes. You understand? I'm not saying all of us, but a lot of us were at that time. But not only that, Harry Anslinger, what he did was he came in. He was the first drug czar for the United States of America. Okay, and he attached <clears throat> he attached crimes, any kind of crime. He attached Negroes. Okay, or Asian men or Mexican men to that crime and then attach marijuana to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when they did all of that and came up with Reef of Madness, he got with Hearst. Of course, he got with Hearst. Hearst owned the majority of newspapers, he owned the media. Okay, and so they put that nonsense out, and that's what Ann Slanger took when he went to Congress. He actually had that, that's what he had. He had all of the papers. It's a parallel of what's happening today. We're getting all this media fed to us. It took them 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Do you understand that? 90 seconds to criminalize cannabis. And if you read the brief on it, it, it's incredible. What is this marijuana? I don't know what it is, but it will say it it makes our women sleep with niggers and jazz players and musicians. Yeah, so this is okay. So there's that language. There's that language. This is real language, y'all. I want you to understand, like, this is what was in the papers. This is what was in the headlines. This is the language that was being used. It wasn't that long ago, okay? As 100 years, my grandmother was 102. She just passed. So it wasn't that long ago. It's still in our communities, our families. It's the passed down stories. It is history, and it is real. You you were getting into the language in the 90 seconds, and I saw Tiffany want to talk about like, yes, yeah, this, just, is this policy piece again, how we... Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and... Voting just, matters. Yes. Yeah, and I just wanted to jump in and, and say to, to your point, Khadija, when Reefer Madness and this whole sort of campaign was going on about what the consumption of marijuana was doing, the fact of the matter is, and this is around the time that prohibition ended, there, and, and alcohol rates, alcohol, consumption of alcohol was actually very high. And what the data shows is that the, per, the perpetrators of most criminal activity were uh, poor white men. Let's just put it that mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and alcohol was Which sort matches of matches current day statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Yet instead of uh, focusing on that, where the real, you know, sort of crimes were being committed, this, um, you know, this narrative was created surrounding marijuana and black men, and your your mm-hmm. white women are going to want to sleep with black men, and so on and so yeah. forth. Now, they didn't say black men, though, but but you're right. They, uh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't, that, they didn't use that word. Yes. Nice. Yeah, that's the same narrative that we create today. It's the same narrative we've argued or we've seen. We've argued that, you know, we as black women and men are either over-sexualized, um, shown to be aggressive, right? Black men are gang members. So this, again, I'm going to repeat this word. Cannabis is a microcosm of what we see in our global society, which reflects way too much anti-blackness right is that a fair statement absolutely okay so 
So now let's, let's we're, understand oh. if you want to understand the the racial dynamics, cannabis's or marijuana policy, U.S. marijuana policy. I'm gonna call it marijuana because you know we don't get to call it cannabis now. It's legal and 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 white folks do it. Um, but you know the um, if you want to study, you know if you want to understand it, really like you're right. It's a microcosm of the greater picture because you can see where this has happened in every aspect of mm -hmm. yeah you really can you can see it in every aspect of our lives because let me tell you something there's not a person a black person or a brown person that i know of that doesn't have a family member or a friend someone they know that has been affected by the the war on drugs the failed war on drugs at that but back to your question. Please say that again. Please say that again. I'm sorry. Please say you cannot. You cannot know a person. Please say that again. We need that sound bite. I I, I have no idea when when I start talking. Oh, you just said there. There is just not. You have. There is no way that you can run into a person that has not been impacted by the war on drugs. Yeah, and it's like the failed war on drugs. I think that's what's important. Is the failed war. And, and it's the failed war on drugs, and that is that. To your point, Tiffany, it is very important. But why do I say? that this industry was built on our backs because the majority of our black men have been, um, there's more black men and women in prison behind marijuana or cannabis, mm -hmm. okay, than there are our, our white counterparts, period. That's it, that's all. What happens when you do that? You are now taking away dads and moms and aunts and uncles and 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 listen there's some it gets to the point where it's generational now we want to talk about intergenerational wealth okay yes that, we do that in itself created intergenerational poverty yeah you know the mm. there's a think of it this way the successful white men mostly the successful the people that are successful and making money in the cannabis industry today are the white people who didn't get arrested 20 30 years ago right so did and were able to get off right yeah and didn't have you know the charges pressed or had you know connections or just showed up to court being white <laughs> and mm -hmm. and me off yeah, mm -hmm. and, you know, and so it's not like any, it's not like uh, they were doing anything less. And in fact, mm -hmm. the I've seen they were doing a whole lot more, but we're just not incarcerated. So think about what that means as far as generational wealth. You have generations mm -hmm. that have instead of being persecuted for activities have actually been and they use it a street cred now right they use it a street yeah, cred yeah. now like a badge of honor where our mostly black men are still feeling the shame of having those because right because it leads to one thing leads to another you get a simple possession charge that leads to you not being able to get a job that leads to you losing custody of your kids, which leads to depression. You can't have a job, so you have to resort to, you know, um, prohibited activities to make money. I'm not going to call them illegal, right? Because the legality, as an attorney, I know the le what's legal yeah. and what's not legal is fluid. So with it's on a spectrum, time, yeah, yeah, um, and. You know, it's just this vicious cycle. Meanwhile, the you know white counterparts are going to college, getting jobs, yes. right? Um, you know, benefiting not only from the generational wealth that they've inherited that got them off of being convicted, but are now adding. Sorry, to the I got to interject here. I got to interject. California right. just dropped the ball. California just failed us significantly on cash bail on 25. You just made me feel that in my soul. So we are in this election period right now, which is why we chose this topic. Money is going to come up. 
So I just want to, can we talk about that real quick? I want to sidebar. Let's talk <laughs> no, about cash bail and how it's a part of the system. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely, you know, you're talking about, I'm not surprised though. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not surprised it failed. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised at these election results and the lack of sort of backlash, you know, nothing surprises me anymore. Um, mm -hmm. because we have not, this country has not had an honest conversation with itself about its own prosperity. That's right. Okay. That's right. And, you know, as Amer American, white Americans like to think that this country was built on hard work and entrepreneurship and so on and so forth. And they're not wrong, but the hard work didn't come from white Americans. The hard work came from mm. black. Black, Black, Asian. People. That's right. right. On, on stolen land. So um, so I'm not surprised because, you know, there's very few people who will, who will, white folks, who will acknowledge this history of this country. And so when you're talking about correct. I want, I want to interject really quick again, because that's, I'm sorry, moderators get to interject. Thank you for letting me do that. Because I hear so many points and I'm also watching the chat and I'm seeing the questions come in. So I want to make sure these women are engaged. You said most people, we've seen currently, right now as we're watching this popular vote and this sort of view around what we want to see happen in the country. I just want to say that because we're here trying to build bridges. Is it most people don't want to acknowledge it? Or is it the loud people don't want to acknowledge it? Or is it the 1% that own the media that don't want to acknowledge it? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what I think. And, and That's you know, I'll yes. be 46 next month, so I don't have time to mm -hmm. bullshit anybody about what I think. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's most people. Okay. okay. I, I, okay. I, I really do. I think it's most, um, I think it's most white folks. Okay. Mm. I, I don't like I've, you know, I think that there is a greater willingness to maybe want to broach the subject and I can't see the chat, so I don't know what's coming through, but I'm just, you know, say, I'm telling you what. No, I no, no, this, no, that's um, my job. Not yours. Yeah. I, that's why I want to make sure that we, we talk about all this. This is, yeah. this is what this is about. The conversation. Candid, real, true. Yes. I don't think people look, I think, I think, and we see this in the results today. Um, I don't think people are willing, are ready to give up their white supremacy. I think they're ready to start talking about what it means to be in that space of white supremacy. But I don't okay. think people are willing to give it up at this point. And we see that in the election, right? Um, I agree with that 100%. That's yeah. why 25 didn't so pass. I mean, that's what, what we see in California. Yeah. That's why I'm not surprised yeah. at all. And because we, you know, people talk about wanting equality, but they don't want mm. the equity that's needed to get to equality. Right. And we're about to- And equality and equity, yes. Two different things. Yes, and, and equality and equity are not the same thing. So I wanna just, just chime in here and say, just to be clear, everybody, people are watching this from around the world and they will see this from internationally. So what we're talking about, Prop 25, I wanna make sure we give that data. Here in California, we had a proposition on the ballot that would essentially end cash bail. And then Tiffany, you can correct me, but give judges the opportunity to then make bail contingent upon the, the uh, the severity of the crime. Cause currently we have people who might've had six speeding tickets and then it turned into a warrant. Then they get a bail that they can't afford. So they can sit in and jail, jail or, yeah. And they go to jail and they can sit there for months to even a year until they have this trial. And then in the end, the tickets get waived for community service and they get out. But at that point they've lost their family, blah, 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 blah. We can also have a rapist go to, go to jail, get bail and have a rich family and get him out on bail. And so because of the disproportionality of, of economics and wealth in our country, we also know who that disproportionately affects. And yeah. so what Tiffany is talking about right now is how in California, we, yes, criminalization is for, it's for poor. We claim in California to be so liberal and so profound, but when a ballot got put on the books, what we still saw was that white supremacy prevailed. Am I, am I clear And let's talk about why that is, right? That's exactly Wait, why so much. That's why it's not a surprise of what's going on right now. 
I mean, look at the climate that we're in right now. This is nothing new, right? I think we all expected to have this type of outcome, this type of situation. You know, but really speaking about the cannabis space, it has created intergenerational poverty for Black people. It has affected us economically uh, on several levels, not with the fact of, not just with the fact of getting, you know, the men and women going to prison and becoming felons and not being able to get a job, right? Or not being able to even come in, into the cannabis industry until they get an expungement. In some states, you can't even get an expungement, you know? And so right. we look right. at, we look at how do we fix that, right? Is it, mm. is it about education? Because we are, black people are the most educated people in, in the world, okay? Let's just be clear, okay? We have degrees, we have this, doctors. I mean, look at you, both of you, right? You understand? And black, so, black women in the United States actually right. are the most educated. Absolutely. And yet, and yet, and yet, the average amount that is inherited by a black person is less than $40,000 of inheritance. So let's That's talk about that. How do we build intergenerational wealth? How do we do that now? You know, I, I also want to talk about in this conversation of building intergenerational wealth, because we're talking about generations past and future, yeah, right. particularly when we're talking about the legal, you know, cannabis industry, the shame that has been placed upon our, our black community for the consumption of it, right? And not being able to benefit medicinally from it because of the shame. And I'll give you a for example and, and why the, why I think this is important to have this discussion. For myself, I didn't it's really interesting because the first time before election night 2016, I could count on half of a hand how many times I actually consumed cannabis and I hated it. And I actually got a medical prescription based on my own issues of insomnia, some PTSD and depression and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I got a prescription for my 70 year old mother who was having, who had spinal surgery, but didn't want to take the um, narcotics that were prescribed because we have a history of addiction in on her side of the family. And so I got a prescription, of, a, a medical marijuana prescription. Back then you could just do a prescription. You had to have a medical mm -hmm. prescription. So I got one for her and bought her things so that she could have some pain alleviation and, and she wouldn't take it because of the stigmatization surrounding our old black folks and this the, the mm -hmm. line was we don't do that sort of thing right that's not what we do and mm -hmm. whereas um white folks have been just doing it you know getting you know doing it without shame and it took she wouldn't use it until she saw in good morning america mm. and then it was okay for her and I they're, say, still, they're still giving us permission. They're still they're giving, giving us, us permission. permission. When this is an entitlement, I believe we have. And so when we're talking about how do we build that generational wealth, particularly surrounding this industry, we need to talk about how we remove the shame from it mm. that that our, you know, that our the generations before us had because it had been so heavily criminalized and stigmatized. And, you know, as we go forward talking to our children about this, you know, natural herb that we should be using, like we use echinacea and St. John's wort and valerian root and, you know, all of these holistic remedies um, and removing the shame from it so we can properly step into the industry and get our money as we're entitled to without having to do so in the dark right. in our own community. So if we talk about these tangible ways, these tangible no. ways to remove that shame, because I agree. And okay. yeah, go ahead, Khadija. I think I think you're going to answer what I want. Let me ask this, because I think you're about to get into it. And I do want you to answer this. These tangible ways to come out of this shame and build this wealth. I think that's where you're about to go, right? So, you know, I'm going to talk about building intergenerational and building generational wealth. Right, wealth that can be passed on from generation to generation, wealth that can be passed on and not only passed on, but shared with family members, which is intergenerational wealth. So in the cannabis space, I believe black folks need to invest in black folks. I believe that we need to stop waiting for people who have enslaved us 
to give us permission. I believe that we need to pull in our resources together because individually we're financially weak, but together we are financially strong. Okay. So the average person, the average black person inherits less than 40,000. The average white person inherits more than 150,000. Come on. This has been generational. This has been generational. This has been generational. And so for the cannabis industry, look around for black owned businesses. Listen, can occlusive. I don't know if I can say that. I'm not trying to put a plug, but they have a whole list over 600 minority owned companies. And, and they're, they're specific. They say black owned, Asian owned, um, Latinx owned, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Invest LGBT. in- LGBT, yes, yes. We're so, quick we're so quick when we get money to run to a suburban area and put our money in a suburban area and pay the taxes in a suburban area that we fail to buy the three or four or five houses straight up in the hood that we could take and, and fix up and, and put our, come on now. Let, let's talk about really building wealth. Well, what about in cannabis? What else can we do in cannabis? Look at these companies. How can we invest? How can we teach them how to invest? How can we teach them how to do a crowdfunding right there in the neighborhood? Right? Right. Mm -hmm. This is how we do that. How, get, getting stocks. Okay. Investing mm -hmm. in, in dividend, dividend companies, right? Dividend stocks, stocks that pay you back dividends. That's important. Getting real estate getting land that's important and i want to talk how about do you but how do you sorry Please i, I do, want to Tim, talk yes. about ancillary yes. businesses also because as rapid as as rapidly growing as the cannabis industry is the ancillary business is probably growing about 10 times faster and what i what do i mean by ancillary business I mean the businesses that service the cannabis industry. So right. like myself as an attorney, I don't make money from it, but you know, servicing and consulting to people who are in or want to get in the cannabis industry, marketing, right? If you're somebody that has some expertise in marketing, I mean, I, I, I do free consultations to women of color and uh, that want to get into the cannabis industry and mm -hmm. and about 80% of the time what's more profitable for them is to not try to get into this highly regulated market the plant. Right, right. but in plant touching but use your skills that you already have in real estate and accounting, start where you marketing, are uh, insurance <laughs> consultation and just you know, start off adding a service to service the mm -hmm. cannabis industry, security. I mean, you talk mm -hmm. about every, because every single, I can, I can find anybody doing a job and tell you how you can get in the cannabis industry as an ancillary mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. yes. And so, and, okay, so and, this, this, that's tangible, Tiffany. Those are tangible. Those are yeah. tangible things that people Those can do. And I appreciate things. it. We're talking to a, we're talking to a community that is here that is primarily white that will be watching this because they want to know what they can do to to help contribute to what this crisis is. Okay. So how can we really question? Talk to them. Tell them because I'm gonna that's, we're gonna go into Q and A right now, but I'm I want to okay. yeah, give them the nuggets, the gems. Yeah. That's a really good question because here's what you can do, and 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 hear me when I say this: write a check. It's just that simple. Put your money where your mouth is, because guess what? Everybody's been talking. Everybody's been getting on stage. Everybody's been talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. And it's just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. OK, but at the end of the day, what walks? Yeah. And, you know, that's why when you asked me. Write what, a check. What, what I you know, did I how I really felt. And I told you I'm not surprised at all. And I'll tell you why because I've been hearing all this talk, right? But when it comes down, when the rubber, when the rubber meets the road and it comes down to actually do, you know, I know this is a mostly like white folks audience, but let me tell you from my perspective as a black woman. They came for this, they're here for this. White yeah, folks love to talk. They love to hear themselves talk, right? And they love to hear themselves talk about how, progressive and woke they are and what they think about this and what, what they think about that. 
But when it comes down to actually um, purchasing with purpose or investing with purpose in those very communities that they claim to be advocates for, uh, it's not, it doesn't happen, right? So that's why I'm sort of skeptical. Um, and I'll tell you what, the, peop the, the white folks I know that are actually truly tr advocate, like that are true advocates for the black community, don't go around talking about it. That's right. They just be about it. They just be that, about it. I'm sorry, say that again, Tiffany. Please yeah. say it again. The, the, the white folks I know that are actual advocates for the black community, don't talk about it. Thank you. Thank right? you. And they write checks. And they write checks. They ask me, they'll ask me, I get messages from people. Hey, Tiffany, I need, I want to do bit. I need an, I need a, you know, this kind of attorney. I need this kind of accountant. I need a marketing firm. I need a this, I need a that. Can you refer me to a black woman? Right. These are people that don't talk, sit up on their soapbox talking about how woke they are. They purchase, they purchase with purpose. They support with purpose. They do. They do the work. They don't talk about the work. They do the work. A hundred percent of the time. I'm not kidding you. A hundred percent. I'm gonna say ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, because I'm sure there's not, you know, within their within their but, human abilities. But, but that like, is very real talk. That is why we are here today, too. I just wanna I wanna say that. Like this isn't about boasting, this isn't about putting anybody on a pedestal, but like the white women in cannabis that I work with, they're showing up. They're not talking about it. They're just showing up. They're showing and up. So, yeah. They're showing up. And, and, and when, they, when they have an opportunity to show up, they sit the fuck down and listen. And they don't talk, right? They listen to what is needed. They take that and they go and they act, right? There's no showboating on Facebook. There's no posting of this and that. There's no, hey, this is what I did. Calling around saying, um, you know, we really need your opinion on how you feel and how we should talk to you. Are you yeah. kidding? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the, here's the truth, really, at the end of the day, y'all, we have to create generational wealth in this industry right now. Do y'all realize what just happened and all the states that just legalized? Five states, the opportunity is now. Really, we're still in the basement, y'all. We, we haven't even hit the ground floor. Think about that. The ground floor happens when federal legalization happens. And then at that time, we're not, we're not running at this time. We're running over people at this time. You understand? And so it's really important to get positioned in this industry. And not everybody needs to own a, a cultivation or a dispensary. You understand? Why not just buy the damn- that ancillary piece, yes. You understand? So I think that we need to pull in our resources. We need to identify Black-owned businesses. We need to put our money in these Black-owned businesses. We need to hold our Black-owned businesses accountable because guess what? We want to see our money back when we put it in there too. Okay, don't get it twisted. I'm an investor, okay? <laughs> I love my Black people, but if I invest in you, I want my money, okay? It's, it's really that clear. But at the same time, we still need to figure out what do, what do we need? What do you need, Miss? What Cotton? do we need? Yes. Okay. So you're going to take, now we're going to transition because I know I see, I, I'm getting all kinds of dings and messages and my senses are like, you know, trying to be an MC when you're trying to moderate a conversation when we sit on a couch, because you and I have done that. We have been in events together in person and it's like, oh, hey, sis, I'm touching your hand on the screen. I'm like, ding in my ear, ding on my screen. People have questions. So what we're going to do, it's 501. I want us to transition into the sessions because we're into the meat and potatoes now. We are into how we do this. What is your job? What is our job? And and the women in here, they have questions. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say to everyone, some housekeeping on the left of your screen, you're going to see sessions and it says now in red. You can click there. When you click there, don't leave yet. When you click there, you're going to see a room that opens up and that is the moderated Q&A. We're just gonna transition over there. It'll take us about a minute to get there. We'll all be there together. Tiffany and Khadija will be there on the screen. I'll be there as well. But at that point, I'm out. I'm gonna let you all come in. If you have a question, please type it in the chat. I'll also have up any anonymous questions that you have submitted during this hour or before today's event. And I'll continue to ask them unless women wanna come on. So 
thank you for being here. We've got one more hour to go. And now comes the good stuff because it's not me and it's not what's in my brain. It's everybody out there. All right, so click sessions. Let's go. I'll see you over there.